Friend, does it surprise you that a book that's intended to lead people into a closer relationship with God is overflowing with the sins that those people supposedly commit? It's amazing how many sins fill the scriptures. Think about it. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived his daddy and his brother. Moses was a murderer. King David was too and committed adultery to boot. And the Apostle Paul, whom God used to write the majority of the New Testament, persecuted and imprisoned Christians and stood by as the preacher, Stephen, was stoned to death. However, most all the sins that are written in the Bible share one similarity. God forgave them. Today, I want to deal with a passage that I believe has caused more trouble than any other scripture passage in the Bible because it contains Jesus' teaching on what has come to be known as the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. You see, there are thousands of people out there who are terrified that they may have committed the unpardonable sin. And they say, Brother Bill, there's no hope for me. Part of the problem is that many believe that this sin is some mysterious sin that you commit secretly or commit in ignorance like you didn't even know you did it. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31... Jesus said, every sin, say every, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So only one sin is called unforgivable. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Every other sin can be forgiven. Now for me and you, that's really good news. Somebody say amen. So as we explore this sin today and its consequences, we must first understand some background. As Jesus was teaching about this unpardonable sin. And the first thing I want to point out to you. Is the miracle that Jesus performed. Uh, on page 860 in your Bibles I think. In Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. About this miracle that Jesus performed. In verse 22. The Bible says that the one, then one was brought to Jesus. Who was demon possessed. Blind and mute. Couldn't talk. And Jesus healed him. So that the blind and mute man. Both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed. And said. Could this be. 
could this be the son of David? Now, those who witness this miracle reach diametrically different um, opinions. Many were amazed. And they wondered if Jesus was the son of David, which is just a title for the long-awaited Savior. But then instead of believing, the religious leaders known as Pharisees, who had a whole lot to lose if Jesus was the Savior, accused Jesus of being someone completely different. So next, let's take a look at the reaction of these Pharisees. The next verse is verse 24. And the Bible says, Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So while claiming to be the representatives of God, these Pharisees heard the reports of this miracle and they were skeptical. Black magic, they said. Oh, there's no doubt that this is just a trick from the devil. They had just watched Jesus perform a miracle on a man who had a withered hand there in verse 13. They had just watched Jesus perform a miracle on another demon-possessed man in verse 22. So there was no denying the fact that he had done a miracle. There was no denying the miracle. There was no denying the power. And so what do they do? They question the source of the power. They don't argue if Jesus had done these things. No, they argue about how he had done these things. They said, ah, this fellow doesn't cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So what they were basically saying here is that Jesus had accomplished those miracles through the power of Satan. Now, imagine this for a second. Imagine accusing the Son of God of being in partnership with the arch enemy of God in the, fa in the face of direct evidence to the contrary. How ludicrous is that? But did the Pharisees commit the unpardonable sin there? Well, let's see the response of Jesus there in verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, destruction. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So notice that the Pharisees weren't speaking directly to Jesus, but he knew their thoughts. And so Jesus begins to answer their mental accusations. And he begins by telling them that they are totally illogical. They're being totally illogical. In verse 26, Jesus says, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself and he will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? I think that Jesus kind of smiled. And he said, 
guys, what you're thinking does not make any sense. If I'm working for Satan, then why would I repair the damage that Satan has caused in this man? Furthermore, why would a devil kick out the devil? What you're saying is illogical. It does not make sense. He says, if Satan is divided against himself, he will be defeated. I mean, even the devil knows that this kingdom must be united. Even the devil knows that a kingdom can't stand if it's divided against itself. So what they were thinking just does not make sense. It's totally illogical. But then Jesus charges them with being rather inconsistent. Take a look at verse 27. Jesus says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. In that verse, Jesus says you're being kind of inconsistent here because some of the Pharisees were claiming that they had cast out demons. And so Jesus says, if this is true, then from whom did they get their power to cast out a demon? And here is the implication that Jesus makes. If Jesus is not sending demons packing, amen, by the power of Satan, then there's only one alternative. There's only one other conclusion that people can come to and that he is doing it through the power of God. Look at what he says in verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Wow. And then in verse 29, Jesus uses one of the shortest parables in the New Testament to explain what he means. Notice verse 29. Or how can, a, how can one enter a strong man's house... And plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. So in that little parable, the strong man that Jesus is talking about is Satan. The house is the kingdom that Satan dominates right here on earth. And his possessions, his goods... Are the helpless victims that Satan holds in bondage even to this day. And Jesus says, there's only one. There's only one who is stronger than Satan who can free these hostages. Only one. And that is Jesus. And that's what Jesus has done. And that is what Jesus is doing to this day. Jesus enters Satan's dominion. This earth. And then he binds him the strong man. And then he releases and frees all of his helpless victims. That's actually you and I. Who are held bondage by the power of sin. And the power of Satan. But in reality you keep in mind. That Jesus is not stealing anything. He's just reclaiming what Satan has stolen in the first place. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So then after concluding that Jesus himself has come to this earth 
to free the hostages that Satan has taken, Jesus gives all of us today a reminder. Take a look at verse 30. Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. The bottom line that Jesus is saying here is that you cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus. There's no straddling of the fence when it comes to Jesus because Satan owns the fence. You're either with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. You're either gathering with him or you're scattering. Someone once said that this is the most narrow-minded statement that Jesus ever made. And to a society that believes that all roads lead to heaven, it might seem a little bit narrow-minded. But friend, it does not change the fact that that is true. You cannot be neutral when it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you can't live with one foot with me and one foot in the world. You can't live one foot following me and one foot in this sinful world. you got to take a choice. you got to make a choice. Either trust me or you reject me. It's either or, one or the other. But one thing you can't do is ignore him. You can trust him or you can reject him if you want to, but you cannot ignore him. You're either with him or you're against him. You're either gathering disciples with him or by your lifestyle, you're scattering people into the dominion of Satan. And it's after this event that Jesus finally provides us with the real meaning of this unforgivable sin. Let's look in verse 31. Jesus says, therefore. I learned in seminary that anytime you see that word therefore in the Bible, you've got to find out what it's there for. We just did. Alright, we read verses 22 through verse 30. We found out what it's there for. Therefore, I say to you. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Therefore, based on all the evidence he just shared in verses 22 through 30, what follows is one of the misunder most misunderstood and most feared passages in the Bible. Even some unchurched people have heard of this warning before. But it also provides you and I as believers and faithful disciples one of the most wonderful and beautiful truths in all the Bible. The assurance that all sins will be forgiven. So let's begin with what the unforgivable sin is not. The unpardonable sin is not murder. Think about it. Doesn't the Bible tell us 
of Moses and the Apostle Paul who both did this. And they were forgiven. The unpardonable sin is not sexual immorality, adultery, or even divorce. Doesn't the Bible tell us of situations like that? Like David and Bathsheba. And he had done this and been forgiven. The unpardonable sin is not denying Christ. A prime example is Peter. Who denied the Lord not once, but three times. And was he not forgiven? The unpardonable sin is not suicide. Now, many think this because someone who takes his own life doesn't have the opportunity to ask forgiveness of that sin. But that's assuming that the person is thinking rationally in the first place. But a victim of suicide has got many more issues going on in their life than just taking their own life. So listen very carefully, please. Once you are a Christian, once you are a child of God, you do not have to, nor are you able to, confess every single sin that you can commit. You commit sins and some of them you don't even know about. You don't have to confess every single sin as a Christian, as a believer on Christ Jesus, in order to go to heaven and somehow maintain your salvation. That's not the way it works. We confess our sins to stay in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We confess our sins so that we will align our will with His will. We confess our sins to Him so that we can be cleansed from those sins and be used by Almighty God. That's why we confess. See, when we surrender to Christ, when we, by faith, receive the grace of God, believing on the Lord Jesus and His sacrificial death on the cross, when that occurred... Every past sin you've ever committed and every sin you will ever commit is now covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. Every sin. The point here is, is that there is no sin that God is unwilling to forgive if you are willing to repent and believe on Jesus. So, what is this unpardonable sin? What is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not cursing the Holy Spirit. It's not using the Lord's name in vain. It's not calling Jesus demon-possessed, we learned. Those are sins, to be sure. But they are not unforgivable sins. Anybody who commits blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has heard and has thought about God. They have heard and they have thought about all the things that God has done. And they still reject the only way that God has provided for human beings to be reconciled to Him. The blasphemy 
of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin is very simply this. It is the ongoing, continual rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to the fact that Jesus is the Savior. Period. The ongoing rejection of the witness of God's Holy Spirit to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Savior of man. There is no other sin. There is no sin that God won't forgive except rejecting Jesus as the Savior. You see, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to draw people to God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of righteousness. He will convict the world of judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and of the fact that we desperately need a Savior. And if we turn our back on the Holy Spirit, if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit as being the only source of our conviction of sin, then listen, there's no plan B. There is no other source by which we can be convicted of sin. Your conscience ain't good enough. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. So listen to me. It is dangerous, dangerous business to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn it down. It is dangerous Dangerous business to hear how much Jesus Christ loves you, but to turn a deaf ear. It is dangerous, dangerous business, my friend, to hear that forgiveness of sin is available. But you don't want to hear it. And you refuse to accept the forgiveness that's offered to you. So how in the world does someone come to the point where there is no longer a conviction of sin? How do they get that far? How do they get that hard-hearted and stiff-necked? Well, friend, it's a climax of a lifetime of repeated rejections. Heard it over again. You've heard the gospel. You've heard how much God loves you. You've heard that you can have forgiveness of sin. But all you do is turn your back on it. And that, my friend, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. While there is no sin that God won't forgive, there is a deadline. There is a deadline in every human being's life placed by the Lord past which that person will not be saved. What are those deadlines? Well, one of them is the day of your death. After you die, there's going to be no opportunity 
for you to accept Jesus as your Savior. The second deadline is the rapture of the Lord's church. There's going to be a day when God sends His Son to go get His bride and calls us up into the sky. And you're not going to have any opportunity to accept Christ then because it's going to happen like that. And if you, would, if you say no to Jesus now, you wouldn't say yes to Him then anyway. The day you die, the rapture of the Lord's church, and the third deadline is rejecting your day of grace. That day where God spoke clearly into your heart and said, this is your day. This is your day. This is your day to be saved. This is your day to receive heaven and eternal life with me. See, the day may come when the Holy Spirit may never again testify to you about the conviction of sin or the fact that Jesus died for you. The Bible says that God will not always strive with the spirit of man. If today, if today is your day of grace, don't you pass it by. Because you see, here's the thing. If you're here today or if you're listening in today and you're worried, Bill, I've committed the unpardonable sin. I want to tell you that's not true. If you're here or you're listening in, I want to tell you that you can stop your worrying because you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Had you committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't be worried. Had you committed the unforgivable sin, you wouldn't care. You would not have any interest whatsoever in Jesus coming to this church or anything spiritual for that matter. So just by your presence today, you're saying, I have not committed the unpardonable sin. But beware. Beware, my friend. If the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, you need to respond. You need to respond. Because God doesn't promise you another single opportunity. Jesus may come back today. He may call his church today. And the Bible says clearly, behold now. Say now. Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now, say now, behold now is the day of salvation. Why does the Bible say that? Because you're not guaranteed one more minute. You're not guaranteed one more hour, one more day. Jesus may come back today. So don't you squander this opportunity today. 
We don't know when our days are done. We don't know when the Lord's going to take up his church. And we don't know if this might be our day of grace. And it all begins with one step of faith. I want to tell you that if you will take one step out, Jesus will take all the rest of the steps forward. And I can tell you from personal experience that this Bible tells us how human beings can be saved from the penalty of sin. So don't commit the unpardonable sin by ignoring Let's all stand.